When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. Jack Benyon from The Race here, ready to run down all of the action from last week's Portland race. Alongside me is the man who the Portland race winner goes to for beer advice, J.R. Hildebrand. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I didn't really, I didn't get asked for advice yet, but it's, I'm, I can feel it coming. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, we're like in the, in the dating phase of the relationship. Exactly. It's not quite yeah. ready yet to open up yet. Courtship period here still. Okay. But yeah. Okay. I feel like um, <laughs> when Scotty comes on the podcast next, we're going to that, that's going to have blossomed into a, some sort of beer bromance by then. We should. Well, I, I I asked him what he was drinking after the race because I feel like, and I and I said this on Twitter that I'm just trying to figure out like where he's at on on the timeline of <laughs> becoming a hipster because I feel like it's inevitable. Um, but but yeah, I, I feel like but by the time we get him back on the podcast, I can definitely have a few more questions ready to go to narrow that down. He's kind of become American in in every other sense of like life yeah exactly that's what i'm saying like he's in his 20s like you know when's when's the first tattoo coming and what's what's it gonna be you know like there's some of these things they've gotta be but he's but he's he's very penske-ish too he plays golf like it's kind he's he's a tricky case from that perspective you know yeah before we get into offending people with stereotypes let's move on to the <laughs> let's move on to the action from last weekend at portland obviously we built it up massively jr to say how crazy and uh you know mad the uh, portland race can be and it was actually relatively straightforward it took 84 laps to to get a caution and that was just one kind of wild moment of i'm still not really sure what happened there with uh renus vk just kind of dumping jimmy johnson into the wall and obviously apologized for that after the race and it wasn't intentional, but yeah, I've not seen a uh, as blatant crashing someone into the wall as that for for a little while. So so that kind of turned the race on its head. But up until that point, it was a relatively straightforward Portland race. We'd had some changes in the build up to the race with an extra chicane being added close to the kind of turn one entry, which uh, I guess increased the, the the chances of losing time if you went off. So it kind of like if you're gambling as to whether you're going to make the corner, you're going to be a bit more conservative because you know you're going to lose time with an extra kind of chicane added into the runoff. So that was interesting. And also, unlike the support races, IndyCar decided to have the the start zone in 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 the last corner, turn twelve. So I guess that allowed the cars to space out a little bit on the straight. You still got obviously a massive braking zone. So that thing on its own wasn't the reason why we didn't have a crash at turn one at the start. But I think, I feel like all of those factors really played into it. And also I think the drivers are just a bit sick of crashes on, on turn one lap one at Portland, having 
done it so many times now and, and everyone kind of being used to it. And a lot of clever drivers in the field who maybe have learned from mistakes and, and, and adapted. But I guess that was the one of the key elements of the race was avoiding a, a massive pile up there. And then the, the, the caution kind of came at an interesting time for some people. I guess, JR, you love to follow the strategy of the races and you'll be able to... To, to jump in a bit on this but it just wasn't the the bonkers race that we've come to expect just because of how kind of straightforward the, the strategy was in the end really we had some undercuts but e- even even those really only were, were only really effective in that kind of first stop zone and then everything kind of leveled out after that and looked quite straightforward didn't it in the top 10 yeah it seemed like the guys that it seemed like the race was going to to me it, it, it until the caution it still just had the feeling that it was going to favor the drivers who had started on blacks that had kind of been able to make it work, which were at, towards the end were Pato and Joseph that that seemed like seemed to me that that was in the third stint, basically when will and uh, Scott and the rest of the lead group basically were having to run their blacks that it, to me, that felt like the kind of pivotal, had it gone green, you know, at that point you're kind of expecting that it will go green for the rest of the, for the rest of the the event that that felt like sort of the pivotal moment that, all right, now they're all going to be on. Now we've got four really good guys that are all in title contention that all really want it here that are going to go flat out to the end. And they had all, they had, it had gotten to the point that they were all within, you know, six or seven seconds or something. They were, they could see each other on track. And so that was going to be exciting to me to watch and then it ended up, you know, we'll we'll get to this in a second, but you know, with Joseph then going to blacks at the end, that to me was just kind of a, that didn't make any sense, I guess, watching the race from the outside. You know, sometimes when you're, when you're in the car, you have a feeling of something, you know, we had, they, they had, Will had kind of thought the same thing basically as a stint earlier, Um, you know, wondered about, running blacks instead of reds as it came down to it. They had obviously decided that the reds were the better move after just reviewing everything that was going on in the race. Um, But yeah, I guess generally from a strategic perspective, when you ran the blacks normally would be in a race that has more cautions when you run the blacks is going to matter a lot more uh, just because it's, it's, it's going to distinctly catch drivers out who are on the wrong side of that who are like on blacks when there's you know multiple restarts or you know or something like that and it's allowing drivers who are on reds to extend their red stints you know let's say you're on used reds that gives you like a free pass basically through those things that ended up happening obviously at the end of the race but altogether you know besides i guess watching lungard throughout the race just kind of ending up going backwards because of you know, they got stuck in the pits, the the first stop, and then kind of didn't quite have the right timing of the undercut overcut. Scott Dixon was one of the drivers that kind of made the best use of that the, in the opposite direction. Marcus Erickson, just to talk about, you know, a championship contender who was kind of nowhere throughout the race. Basically, I, I guess took the strategy of we're going to try to go long and then end up with short stints throughout the rest of the race and hope that we get packed up at some point here and maybe they'll be just be on better tires basically for the rest of the event or something that ended up backfiring because they lost a ton of track position by staying out long on blacks. Um, 
so you know when it came down to it it was pretty straightforward it was just a three-stop race for for everybody um you know the drive the the drivers went wherever they had their primary black stint the shorter that they could make that the better um and it did it did slightly it did seem like it slightly favored some drivers who didn't make it into the top six uh dixon being the one that didn't even make it into the fast 12 um you know, w- without the yellow, he would not have been in contention there up at the front the way that he was. Like he had a 15 second gap that he was going to have to close down that he wasn't, that he didn't have the pace to do that. But uh, given the way that the race worked out, it did mildly benefit drivers who had extra fresher reds, uh, if not just for the sake of giving them like a very clear perspective on what they were going to do strategically throughout the race. So it, ultimately, it wasn't. It was there wasn't any like major strategy decisions that that ended up factoring in, um, you know. But but it was it was definitely I found myself kind of on on the edge of my seat, not because the action on track was that intense in any particular point, but just because you sort of knew that there were some points during the race that if guys got caught out while they were on their black stint or whatever, that that was going to completely change the the look and feel of of how things went. So you definitely had those moments throughout where it could have easily flipped on its head um, and suddenly been to a huge advantage of drivers that were like third through fifth instead of the leaders. And, and then Will Power and Scott and, and Scott McLaughlin are playing catch up. It just didn't end up. They fortunately for them, I guess, um, you know, ended up working out. Okay. Well, you mentioned Marcus Ericsson being nowhere. He was the most interesting strategic kind of option of the whole race, in my opinion, because he went so long on that that first stint where he did, I think he did 30, in between 30 and 32 laps or something on the on the black tyres at the start. And I, I reckon one caution or one fewer caution and he would have been right in contention. He just needed to get that stop back, didn't he? Because he'd, he'd yeah. Ob- yeah. obviously staying out and running long had given him the track position. It just didn't give him the obviously the fuel and the tires to, to, to make that work without a caution or uh, I guess an- without another caution or without that final caution happening, he might've had to have done one less stop than everybody else. But that was a, yeah, that was a, d- a difficult race for him finishing 11th and, and now significantly out of the championship hunt. I'm sure we'll get to that later on, but the the star of the show that we absolutely can't go any further without mentioning is, is Scott McLaughlin. You know, we spent a lot of this season on this podcast talking about how fantastic he's been and, for, for just kind of run out of superlatives really to describe his his second season in IndyCar. He's now got as many wins as Alex Pillow had last year in his championship winning year in his second season in proper single seaters. I don't think we need to really labour this too much, JR, because I think we've done it enough this year that, you know, it's it's just so impressive what is it what you know what he's been able to do. Someone who, you know, hasn't even been totally comfortable left foot braking in a car and is able to, you know, extract this this level of performance and it's this thing again where when you put him out front in the lead he he is so so difficult to get past or to to run down or to to there's just no sign of any pressure or him looking like he might crack under some sort of pressure like it doesn't matter who he's got behind him whether it's Alex Pillow, Will Power Championship leader, Joseph Newgarden you know I know there's been times where he has been you know he has been beaten this year and and that is going to happen but it's, there's just this air of superiority whenever he's out front that you just think that this guy is the real deal and he and he's really 
he's proper. The the one thing I have found interested in all of this, and I'm quite keen to get your opinion on this, is is the kind of debate that people have had on social media, and and some people had in, in you know immediately after the race was whether they should have swapped Will and and Scott around because uh, I guess if we look at this from a a pros versus cons point, the the cons is that Scott has dominated that race and thoroughly deserves to win it after leading all but four laps of the race. Um, you're also if you take that win away from him, you're giving to willpower, but you're also taking away from Joseph Newgarden, who would have been further behind in the championship as well. So you're, you're definitely super favoring one of your drivers and super not favoring two of your others. Um, but but the pros are, are quite significant, I feel, because you know Penske are, are in this battle not just with their own three drivers, but with Ganassi as well. And if if Power had have won, then you know he's only looking at finishing you know, between seventh and ninth, depending on his bonus points in, in Laguna Seca. Whereas, you know, now he's looking at finishing third without bonus points in, in Laguna Seca. So what, what what do you make of this? I think it would have been so unpensky to have swapped the two around that it just wasn't even like, they probably didn't even think about it in the race. Like it probably wasn't even a consideration, but um, I guess it's been talked about a bit afterwards. What, what would you have done in that situation? Do you have any any feeling as to what you might have done there? I would have done exactly what they did, which was just completely ignore the fact that this is even a thing. Yeah. Fair. Like the fact that this is even a, a talking point to me seems ridiculous. Like F1 teams don't do this when, they, when they're in this position anymore. Um, so... Has been a while yeah, since it's been done in F1 actually, in, in a circumstance like this for sure. That's what I mean. Um, so I, I, yeah, to me, it's just a completely absurd question to ask and and would have would have would have looked completely ridiculous had they had they done it in the race will made it wait will made a good point after the after the race which was you know if he hadn't if he hadn't gotten stuck by by a christian at the start that the race might have looked different like he might have had the pace yeah i think he did have the pace actually to run with scott for the whole race he just ended up like six seconds behind or four and a half or five seconds behind or whatever it was basically through the first stint and just didn't really got caught behind some lap traffic got you know just was never really able to fully reel him back in but i think had he been closer that would have that would have at least opened up some you know you, you would have you would have ended up in a situation where they could have found some potential um i put it this way they could have found they might have been able to find a way strategically to get in front of scott even if it was i'm on you know whatever scott's coming out of the they undercut him on a on a pit stop and so wills on cold tires and having to defend heavily against mclaughlin who's coming hard or something like that that i guess that would be if they if they overcut mclaughlin but that Maybe in that situation, then there becomes a bit of, you know, talking your team orders between the between the teams. Like, look, you got to, you know, if Will had gotten into the lead, that maybe there would be some discussion about how hard they're going to allow McLaughlin to go after him for for ch- because of the championship implications. But I guess in my mind, it's it's more to your point that coming into this race, I mean, through the middle of this race when Newgarden was kind of up to, you know, fifth and fourth, you're talking about going into the final round with those guys within 15 points of each other. That's like nothing. And so I think particularly when you look at it from that perspective, okay, Joseph ended up in eighth. I mean, should have been ninth, ended up in eighth. 
Um, when you look at the points spread at the end, maybe that that makes you question whether New Garden's like really in the mix one way or the other at this point and and whatever. But um, I guess from my perspective, yeah, this is I, I I doubt that this was even a consideration within the Penske camp. And um, you know, I I I, I see where, I see where people might be coming from that like yeah you you could have orchestrated this in a way that power ends up you if if your sole goal here is just to do everything you can to have one of your guys beat the Ganassi guys then you have to i guess you have to say all right will is my guy and and we're going with that but it was literally it was until it was until the final caution like it was you'd have to 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 think about it in the context of where the points actually are now then you're only looking at the last like 25 laps of the race basically because mm-hmm. so it's past the final caution there's no more pit stops you know whatever you're going to have to make a call like hey scott i'm sorry you've led the entire race and you've smoked everybody and you put it on pole and you've done all the stuff done everything you're supposed to do but you got to let will buy now um you know because because even before that point dixon wasn't even in the mix until after the final restart right so i just think that they'll 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 be willing to live or die on having three of their guys in the hunt instead of just one or in, instead of basically just one and you know if scott dixon ends up winning the championship then that's just because the 12 crew or the two crew or the three crew or whatever didn't execute well enough for any of them independently to beat scott dixon and the nine guys i guess that would be my perspective on it yeah i think that's i think that's a totally fair perspective i think i i find it less ridiculous than you probably but still quite ridiculous that that would that would be a thing because the i guess the other thing we didn't mention was just the i guess the morale in the camp is so high that you've got such a great balance of three drivers there and then to start you know stepping in and dictating who's going to win what race you know is even if you even if your three drivers say that they're team players and they're willing to move aside like scott mclaughlin did that's going to impact your your team morale there and and scott he's not going to be you know he's not going to be pleased about that and he's going to remember it the next time that kind of situation comes up i think but the the other thing is that i just wanted to mention quickly before we move on is that Will and Scott both seem to kind of agree that Scott was going to be kind of, he was going to be willing to move aside in Laguna Seca and he was going to be willing to do the, the whole team thing to, to help to help Will win the championship. And I just think if that's the case in Laguna Seca where Scott, you know, has to win to win the championship, then was it not worth potentially moving them around because you're already going to potentially use Scott as some sort of, you know, to and fro in, in Laguna Seca that you may as well do it in Portland as well and, and commit to beating Ganassi basically and uh, or, or at least, you know, having a much better chance of it. So those are the those are the elements that I found really interesting. But I think we're... Well, Scott clearly really wanted to play a pebble beat. <laughs> yeah. So if he's not in the championship hunt, then he can't go play. <laughs> so I feel like there was some, <laughs> there was some ulterior motives there. All right, so I want to jump back into Joseph's race because he was very much in the mix and seemed like, you know, I had mentioned earlier in the in the discussion that he and Pato were both in the third stint of the race before the caution, before the final pit stops, before the caution. They were, they had closed, you know, basically pretty much closed the entire gap back up to where 
at least Will was. Will was still trailing McLaughlin by, you know, f- call it four seconds or something, but they were all sort of within range. Um, and then, and we, we heard the, we heard the radio comms. We heard that there was a discussion about black tires versus reds. I guess my, my opinion on this was that, so I'll, I'll just give you my, my perspective on it as a driver who has now been outside, like watching from, from the outside a lot over the last couple of years, which is you kind of real. And I, you know, I guess I realized I knew this early in my career, but you know, you, you realize when you're watching from the outside, when you're standing on the timing stand watching races that, and, and kind of being a part of the, the strategic discussion in terms of how guys are getting through their race from the timing stand that you, you just have such a limited scope of what's going on during the race, I guess, from the driver's seat. And we, you know, we see this, we were talking kind of off air about how you see this in F1 and, and that, you know, they've got even more information, I guess, in terms of what's going on in F1. But this last weekend's race, the Dutch GP was an interesting one, just in terms of the hard tire there and there being, kind of question marks going into like nobody thought that was going to be a usable tire. And then a couple of guys go out and start using it. So the teams are having to kind of like coax their drivers into like saying, yeah, look, it's, it's actually, it's fine. Like, I don't want to, I don't really want to have to stand here with the radio over an entire lap, like rattling off the last 10 lap times that Fernando Alonso's, you know, ripped off, but like, just trust us, you know? And it struck me as a little, I, I definitely understood Joseph's perspective on being, I think his concern was that the used red, you were going to have to go like a full stint, like a full fuel stint for the last stint. Uh, you know, and if it's green, I basically, basically no, they hadn't, none of those guys had gone a full, they had gone 32 laps or whatever it was. Um, they were going to have to do that to the end. But I guess watching it from the outside, it just struck me that, there was no data whatsoever to suggest that the black was that even if the red kind of fell off, that the black was over a stint going to be better. And so I, I'm just curious what your perspective on that was and and kind of what you were seeing as that was going down. It, it obviously ended up backfiring for them because in, in part at least, or it was, uh, exaggerated because of the yellow and being on blacks when everybody else is on reds for a restart. But just overall, what was your take on that? I guess the the weird thing was not only was there not really any data to really support that call, particularly, there was also the same conversation that had already happened with Will Power in the same team earlier on. Right. So to still make that call, having gone through that whole thing with, with Power there was just, just felt a bit unusual to me, but you know, those are the kind of decisions sometimes you'll know as a driver that you you kind of live and die by. Like if that, you know, if if that if that caution hadn't come out and Joseph has this huge advantage on the on the hards over the over the long stint at the end, then he looks like a hero and maybe it wins in the championship or comes close to. And and that's the that's the knife edge scenario we're finding ourselves in with five drivers in the hunt to win the championship and all these guys so close together and, and Joseph knowing that he's got to beat a very strong teammate who's been a champion champion before. So it's it's a difficult one. I think all of the data pointed to the fact that it was a bigger risk to take the hards than it was to take the softs because everybody else had taken the softs. It was kind of obvious that's what everyone was going to do. And at the very worst, in the very worst case there for Joseph, all he had to do was 
basically maintain against everybody else doing the same thing that he would be doing. And in taking the hards, what he did was totally hang himself out to dry in the scenario that actually happened, which was the caution coming out. And not only all of the the soft shot runners being able to save their tyres a little bit under that caution, but also just the soft tyres are much easier to turn over restart. So he was at a double kind of disadvantage there after making that call. So, you know, I, I totally, I totally get it. Like Joseph is a, he's one of these guys who will make these tough calls and they, you know, in his IndyCar career, t- calls like this have won in races and they'll continue to win in races in the future and they'll help, help him to win championships, I'm sure. But in this scenario, it just looked like too big of a risk based on the fact that we've got one race remaining. And if he'd have just stuck where he was, he was pretty much guaranteed a top five, which would have put him 14 points behind power going into the last race, which is definitely a doable a doable scenario. Whereas now we'll go on to the permutations a bit later on, I'm sure, but it, he basically needs to finish. He can't finish any worse than ninth in, in Laguna Seca, which is, you know, it's right on the bubble for being a, a difficult a difficult race for him. Yeah, I guess the the other thing that just struck me while we were watching it was, you know, there's there's a couple of things that I that were sort of going through my mind of of just asking myself like why is this? It doesn't seem like it's the right call, you know. And and I I, I guess I was thinking that more once you actually saw it start to unravel. Hindsight's a beautiful thing, JR. You, you you know what that you yeah. Well, no, I mean I guess I'm saying like you know at that yeah. point that it was the yeah, wrong yeah. call. So so looking back, thinking like why did they you know, why did they make that decision? And I guess I was thinking about it. Joseph's done quite a job to, because, you know, we, we should recall that at the beginning of the race, he was on blacks for the first stint and lost a few positions at the beginning. So he was back to like 10th or something. I mean, I don't know, whatever after, don't quote me on this, but like after lap four or five or something. Yep. Um, and so he had done quite a job to get back up to where he was at at that point, running legitimately fourth, catching Pato as Pato's catching Will in the third stint. I guess it struck me that like, yeah, there was a bit of a, it's not like a gambler's mentality or something, but like that the, at that point, maybe he's thinking, well, my only shot, if it, like you said, if I'm on reds while these, if I'm on used reds while these guys are on reds, you know, maybe he, maybe he knew whether or not they were on scuffs or stickers or whatever for the final stint. Maybe he didn't, maybe it didn't matter, but maybe he's thinking, all right, well, whatever. If I go out on used reds, he, for whatever reason, didn't have a lot of confidence that the used red was going to be much good for him just one way or the other his best finishing position here at this point is going to be fourth. Like he's just feeling like I'm going to be stuck where I'm at. I'm not going to have any particular advantage against these three other guys who have been fast and their cars look good at the end of stints and, and whatever. So that's a thought there is I'll take blacks basically just to do something different in the hopes that that might somehow play into my favor by the end of the race and not thinking about it much more deeply than that in terms of what the odds of that actually happening would be or, or whatever. Like that was kind of a thought that had crossed my mind. Like, Oh, maybe they were just kind of hoping for this to somehow work itself out this way, which would be reasonable enough. Like if, if you're in his position, he's, he's kind of thinking like championship or bust at this point. You know, you heard that from Pato's squad, you know, a number of times over the course of the event. Um, you know, there's a bunch of drivers that are in the same, same boat. So that's a reasonable enough, way to look at it i think um the other part of it that that sort of you know that made me think a little bit was just 
if the two crew all together, obviously Joseph's been working with Tim Sindrick on the timing stand for his entire career at, at Penske. So that, that relationship is not any different this year than it ever has been. But, you know, a lot of the this decision-making process in terms of which tire you're going to end up on and and kind of that's that's more of a setup-related thing than it is just a calling strategy, like what lap are we going to pit on kind of thing. The engineers are definitely involved in this conversation on the timing stand as they're trying to figure it out. And it just made me wonder, you know, if Gavin Ward had still been on his timing stand you know, would there have been a voice on the timing stand on the engineering side that would have just like looked at everything and said, look, no, like, I'm sorry, this is not going to work. You know, there's will, you know, the, the, uh, the rest of the team has already gone through this, like being a little bit more assertive about countering Joseph's perspective from inside the car or being more willing to do that. Um, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that I think necessarily that that's what, ha- that's what's happening here, but it just made me wonder about that. You know, we've talked we've talked at multiple points over the course of this year about how this two crew is just has it hasn't had the consistency over Joseph's tenure at Penske, um, and how that has maybe varying effects on the way that Joseph approaches what he's doing. And there's just no way that it doesn't. Basically, like whatever you would say, those effects are good, bad, or otherwise. There's there's no way that it doesn't impact the way that he thinks about his role and the way the different members of the team think about their role. So, um, you know, I, I guess when you listen to the McLaughlin timing stand, when you listen to the power timing stand, you know, they have a lot of these same conversations, but sometimes end up with, you know, different, different outlooks on how they end up executing in the end. And um, I, I just think that's, that's an interesting thing to continue to track and, and pay attention to. Certainly felt like a gamble, and uh, I, I guess I understand from the perspective that you know that decision might have been something that won in the race, but it's also something that's sent him from being fourteen points behind in the championship to twenty points behind in the championship. So it's 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 difficult, isn't it? You know, it's we're, we're talking like a joked before with the benefit of hindsight, and it's so difficult to know in the moment. Like if that call comes off and Joseph wins the race, like like I said before, he looks like a hero, and it looks like another one of those calls that he makes where you know, he, he shows why he is the champion he is. So that's why that call was so interesting, in fact, because there was just so many elements to it that like a lot of it made sense and a lot of it didn't make sense. And it was just kind of which way was it going to fall? And and that's what made it interesting. Uh, just before we go to a quick break, just wanted to round off. Um, we've not spoken a whole lot about Scott Dixon and, and Marcus Ericsson. You you mentioned Dixon in terms of the strategy and, and how he kind of came through the, the field earlier in the pod. And I just think it's worth mentioning that, you know, Dixon and, and, and Ericsson are a great juxtaposition in this race because Dixon shows that even with only one caution in the race, that he can go from 16th to to 6th, let's say, before the caution without any cautions at that, or, you know, up to that point. So, you know, we've seen Alex Pelot do that quite a few times in his short Ganassi career where that crew seems to be just especially good at executing the undercut at the right time. Um, or, or they pull off a really, you know, cool overcut and, and do a similar th- kind of thing. They just seem to have a, a good knack for working out how the races fall. And it seems like that is sort of inherent at Ganassi to a certain extent, especially, you know, we've seen Dixon do it a lot over over his career in, in general. So it's worth pointing out just how impressive he was. And to put himself in the right position on that restart was, was really nice as well. He saw a lot of people getting out of shape in front of him. Joseph had 
barreled in there with too much speed. I think he was lucky to make the corner, to be honest, and, and did a great job. If, if Dixon hadn't been there to sweep up, then Newgarden would have looked like a bit of a hero in that in that move. But Dixon, obviously, very... I, I don't like to compare to Formula 1 drivers because we're an IndyCar podcast and that's what we're here to do. But Dixon does feel quite Alonso-esque in terms of how he's how he is in combat, you know, whether it's restarts or or, or starts of races, we know how good, um, or anyone who watches Formula One will know how good Alonso can be in those situations. And, and Dixon reminds me a lot of that, or, or there, there's a lot of similarities there. It was disappointing that Marcus Ericsson wasn't able to do a similar kind of thing, but he'd committed to that strategy that we mentioned earlier really early by doing that early stint. So without a caution or not caution falling where it needed to, there was no way he was going to be you know, in contention there. So that was really difficult. He finished 11th. So that puts him in a difficult position in the championship. All right, JR, a bit of news for people listening to the podcast. Might not be news at this point, to be fair, because uh, it did happen on Sunday, well, Saturday on Sunday kind, kind of um, emerged, but it's become very, very clear that Red Bull's kind of option A at the moment is to replace Pierre Gasly with Colton Herter at AlphaTauri for 2023. Helmut Marco, uh, who many will know his name, has been connected as a, a kind of Red Bull advisor for, for a very long time now. And he kind of basically said that the deal's all wrapped up on all sides other than the fact that Colton needs a, a super license. So that's a, a story we're going to track over the next few weeks. Helmut Marco said that he wants a decision made on this by Monza. It seems like there's an agreement between Red Bull, Colton and, and everyone involved, according to him. Um, but kind of moving the FIA on the whole super license thing doesn't strike me as something that's going to be particularly easy to do. But there seems to be, you know, a genuine, I don't I don't know if I want to use the word confidence. There, there seems to be, I, I don't think Red Bull would be talking about this quite as much as they are and openly as they were if they didn't really think that this was going to be possible and that Colton was going to be in that seat. So um, I'm, I'm not predetermining anything there, but the fact that they are talking about this um, is either a ploy to try and persuade the FIA to give him a licence right. or it's because they're because they're confident enough that uh, he will get one. Or some, some combination of both, maybe. They're just trying to yeah. speak, it, speak it into existence. Yeah, Exactly, exactly. I've uh, I've written today a, a little article that you can read on the-race.com if you're interested about this. I just wonder where you stand, JR. I mean, obviously with Colton, Colton coming into Red Bull, um, I don't want to, I'm not saying this is the only reason, but Red Bull's principal, you know, main sponsor is a, a big American company. So there might be some interest there in the sense of having an American driver with, um, you know, such a, a big American sponsor in the team. Um, saying that he's going to AlphaTauri, so it's not necessarily. It doesn't feel like a direct link um, or something that would kind of define the move. I'm kind of wondering if if we were in a different point of time, whether it would be Colton getting this chance or whether it would be Pato or or, or Alex Pelot getting the chance. Where do you stand in terms of what we've seen from Colton, not only across his IndyCar career, but what we've seen this season, and and kind of in the context of it's emerged that it's very obvious that Alex Pelot wants at least an F1 test. And that's one of the reasons why he's left the team that won the championship last year and won the Indy 500 this year. Like if, if you're going to, if you're going to leave that, there better be something good on offer. So Alex Pelot clearly is desperate to, to have, you know, some sort of involvement in, in F1. And also Pato, if you take his two 
you know, if you basically take his two retirements, his mechanicals out, he's in the same position as Scott Dixon and Joseph Newgarden. And he's 20 points behind roughly in, in the championship. And then if you look at something like Nashville, where that was not really his fault, totally taken out contention, you know, he might be a bit closer. We might be talking about the momentum of Pato Award here and him being, you know, very close to to, to winning his first championship. So with, with the context of all that and, and what Colton's been able to do this year, I guess, is F1 getting the best IndyCar option that it could have with Colton? Uh, there's a lot to unpack here, I guess. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to like rattle off a, just a couple of responses to like some things <laughs> you've said. One, uh, do I like, I don't, so I don't, I don't think that Oracle being the primary sponsor at Red Bull makes any difference. Like I think the companies that are involved in F1 right now, Oracle being one of them are for reasons that have nothing to do with whatever the driver lineups are basically to any of these places. So I don't think that that's, that's like a big deal. That being said, Helmut Marco was a, a, a huge influencer behind the original Red Bull driver search that ended up with Scott Speed in the Toro Rosso and, you know, was a huge, I mean, I look back, I was, that was kind of my junior formula or I, at that, the, the tail end of the Red Bull driver search was at the beginning of my kind of junior formula excursion um i did i did i guess maybe the last year of the kind of full you know indoor karting to kart track to skip barber to formula three kind of whole thing um which is crazy thinking about how many how many young drivers actually that influenced just the fact that that was a thing that existed at that time uh, which was not i don't think is why red bull was doing it but interesting just to to look back on that so i think that my guess is that there's just always been a bit of that red bull generally has always recognized that there's some things that they might uniquely be able to do with an american driver that not every formula one team would see the value in that not that formula one itself might not see the value in that other sponsors might not see the value in like whatever because of the way that they treat their kind of marketing and branding program as, as being something that's like completely unique within sports basically. Right. So my guess is that Colton is, is kind of interesting as an American, just from that perspective to Red Bull that like, he's a true, we talked about this, uh, I think on the, on the last pod or, or recently on the podcast that I'm not really a believer that, just an American getting to like, and this is no discredit to anybody, but when I, when Alexander Rossi got to F1, did anybody, did anybody in America care? Like kind of not really like if Logan Sargent goes to F1, is anybody going to care? No. Cause we don't know who these guys are. Cause they've been racing in Europe for a long time. Whereas Colton Herta, he's like been a contender, a race winner in the IndyCar series for a few years. Now people know his name because of his dad, people, you know, there's, there's all of this stuff. Like there's a presence in the U S that makes this fundamentally just a different, a, a whole different situation. Like Colton Herta going to F1 is going to, it's going to be at least a blip on the radar in terms of there being an American driver that you, you kind of, um, you connect with as being like an American driver, not just a guy that was born in the United States. And so I think that Red Bull and, and Helmet, I think in particular do recognize a bit of they, they see something in that basically, I guess is, is kind of the point that I'm making. Um, and they're not scared to to have a go at 
raw drivers with with pace like look at what they've done with max verstappen absolutely not right so so colton fits the bill i think in terms of the type of driver that they're willing to take a flyer on that can backfire for colton here because red bull is notoriously quick to like dump guys pato awards already been through this basically right that that don't perform to whatever their expectations are, whatever that, however lofty they might be rather quickly. Right. And so, or or ironically don't have a super license. Yeah. yeah, Right. (laughs) So the whole there's, so there's some kind of weird parts of the way that I like, none of this is to say that I think that Red Bull necessarily like, you know, looks at, looks at driver selection and the way that they treat their drivers and the environment they put them in and the opportunities that they create necessarily like from a totally holistic perspective. But the, the, the bottom line, I guess, is that Colton does fit the template of guys that they've taken flyers on before for all kinds of different reasons. I think the fact that he's American is one of those reasons in this particular case. Um, I also think that he, you know, I talked about this with, with Ed and Scott on the F1 podcast, like a a few weeks ago that I honestly, I I think Pato is super good. I think Alex is super good. Those guys might in some respects be slightly more polished in different areas than Colton is. But I do frankly think that if you're just looking for the guy of, of all of these dudes of maybe anybody in the IndyCar paddock right now, if you're just looking for the guy that has the highest ceiling in terms of what they might be able to go generate. And if you only care whether that happens once in a while, Colton's your, your guy. Like, you know, I, I feel strongly enough about this that I'm having a hard time not dropping F-bombs on the pod here. Like, he just is that dude. And, you know, what remains to be seen, I guess, in terms of Colton's career is whether he can he can he refine some of the other aspects of his you know we've talked about this before we don't need to go into it going to here my my personal opinion is like yes he'll get the rest of this stuff figured out and if he stayed in indycar he'd be he'll get to a point when andretti really gets their stuff dialed that he's a year after year he's a new garden-ish contender because he's just got that kind of raw pace um and so in F1, the thing that's going to be tough for, so, so skipping ahead, like let's assume this happens, I guess. The thing that makes it particularly difficult is this is, this is Red Bull just taking a flyer on a guy, I think, to some degree. This is not McLaren investing in, you know, or, 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 making good on an investment that they're already a part of. And and you, you think that's going to be, there's at least some reasonable expectation that that's going to be a little bit of a long play. Um, You know, they're going to wrap some resources around this. They're going to do all this stuff. Alpha Tauri is kind of just like the, the free B team. Like they can just swap guys in and out of that deal. seems like at will, like it doesn't, there's no commercial attachments. There's no, long-term planning there's no this is your this is there, there's there's not even any it doesn't it doesn't even really anymore seem like they're grooming guys to go to the 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 a team it's just like it's just another team they can kind of do whatever they want with basically I, and that you know that's i'm sure 
way overly simplifying things, but just in terms of the way that the drivers get moved in and out of it, it doesn't, doesn't seem like there's a lot of rhyme or reason to like what's going on there for Colton. It feels like this is kind of like, he's going to have to produce in one year. This does not seem to me like something that there's any guarantee of extended time that there's any guarantee of, of even getting like a lot of help. This is, hey, you want to be an F1? We're willing to see how this goes. Let's see what happens. And, and, and so he's got the benefit, I guess, of being up against Yuki as his teammate, who's been pretty all over the place in terms of his pace, his ability to execute. I think Colton has the chance to come in and do some of those things you know, as long as you know, Colton's young, he's adaptable. He'll figure out the tracks. He'll whatever. There's gonna there's some of that kind of stuff that could hold him back, but I think he'll figure out pretty quickly. You know, you don't. It's 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 pretty frequent at this point that you see young F1 hope. You know, F2 guys that I mean, F2 doesn't go to a ton of the tracks that F1 goes to now. So he's not in a different, he's not in like a wholly different situation than, uh, you know, other guys that are coming from super formula coming from F2, whatever. Um, and you see those guys manage to adapt because they get the simulator time. They do all this stuff. But, um, I think it's just going to come down for Colton. What I, if there's anything that I worry about here, it's just because this is all happening so fast because it's under the guise of a Red Bull deal, which we know that they've kind of chewed up and spit out some drivers, it, does he have the support network around him to make the best of the situation for him? Can he be insulated from the, I, and I think he, he's, he doesn't, he's not a driver that becomes really heavily affected by the pressure from whoever, but just, can he be insulated from, I think what is, what is not necessarily a, what is what what may not end up being a super welcoming super engaged you know driver forward environment here you know and and i guess it's it's what i feel like has kind of happened for daniel ricardo a little bit like daniel when i when i look at at some of what the other drivers you look at lewis and angela as an example like that's kind of that's yeah he's she's his physio but she's also like a spirit guide you know and and that's having somebody who's like that around makes a big difference i think in terms of how you're able to compartmentalize like the emotional and psychological components of what's going on around you and in f1 it's just like all of that stuff is ne- necessary i think to an order of magnitude greater than it is in the IndyCar paddock. And so I just kind of look at, I look at what Colton's walking into here and I'm hopeful for him that he and Brian are proactive about trying to create as much support of like their own network for Colton to be able to maximize the opportunity just for himself basically like independent of his driving, independent of his preparation, independent of all those things, just to be able to every day be able to show up and be focused on the things that he can control and be at his best and and all that kind of stuff. Like I, um, I think Colton's really good at all of that anyway, but, but F1's just a different animal. So 
I guess that's, that's maybe that's goes beyond what your question was, but, um, you know, this is, this is going to happen really fast and it's going to be a whirlwind and, and, you know, it's like either it'll go great and he'll be in a completely different situation a year from now or, or it won't. And, you know, there's some of those things I feel like there are factors that can impact them from the outside. I I agree. And I hope that he's able to, to deal with that. You know, if, if that did happen, if he was kind of, you know, red bulled to a certain extent with, with what they've done with their junior drivers in the past, then I hope he's, I hope that doesn't cause him any trouble and that he's, you know, he's able to cope with that mentally. Something tells me if I, if I've learned anything about Colton Herter, that, that that would be the case. He would be, you know, very able to deal with that, but I don't want to encourage a scenario where he's, you know, he's impacted negatively in terms of his, his like mental capacity and stuff like that. But the, the one good thing is that he's, you know, a, a lot is said about the Red Bull driver program and, I think some of it can be quite harsh because at the end of the day, they're a business and they're giving a lot of these drivers chances they wouldn't have had. Could they, you know, provide a bit more support or look after these drivers, you know, kind of when they do get rid of them a little bit better, maybe, but they're also offering an opportunity that other teams aren't, you know, there's not a queue of teams trying to get Colton into a car next year at the moment. Um, You know, there's a lot of teams that are interested in him and are looking towards that, but it's it's Red Bull who seem to be driving this kind of super license change or, or or getting Colton into the championship ASAP. You know they're the ones driving that. And the good thing for Colton is he's not in a situation that a lot of the Red Bull juniors have been in before. Whereas if he doesn't make F1 work in a season and they do elect to get rid of him, then he's going to walk straight back into any IndyCar team in the paddock because yeah. every single one of them will sign him. There's absolutely no doubt about it. So it's a in the past, we've had this kind of, is this move wise because you might go to F1 and you might come back to IndyCar and there might not be anything for you or you might not go back into a top team. You might have to start again at the bottom of your, your kind of ladder and work your way back up. That's not the case with Colin. He is just simply going to walk into any team that he wants to go back into. So this is a the only loss that I can see in this scenario is that Colin's potentially going to get maybe get paid a little bit less money in F1 than he, than he is earning in IndyCar right now. But apart from that, every single opportunity, you know, it makes total sense for him to, to just go for it because there's no, I can't see any downside other than, you know, it, it not quite working out. But as as you mentioned, I think the the ceiling that he has is potentially higher than any of the other drivers in the series that you could put in this situation. So in that sense, he's he's absolutely ideal for, for for Red Bull. All right. There's five guys that still have a mathematical chance of winning things. Um, you know, but it's it's complicated up at the top. So do you want to do a bit of a run through of just kind of what can happen here and what it takes for different drivers to win? Absolutely. So I guess we should start with the current points as they are. So we've got Will Power on five, two, three. We've got Joseph Newgarden 20 points behind and we've got Scott Dixon 20 points behind as well. I guess Joseph's positioned higher at the minute because of his number of wins. That's what defines the fact that he's yeah, second. Tiebreaker, yeah. We've got Mark Ericsson fourth with he's 39 back and then Scott McLaughlin fifth who's 41 back. So I'm going to go into every single scenario of how the championship's going to play out because the podcast will be seven hours long and everyone will be bored to tears. So I guess the, the quick and easy ones are Scott McLaughlin has to win. There's no other scenario where he wins the championship. Like he just has to go out and win next weekend. So that's an easy one. Uh, similar for Marcus Ericsson. 
Um, but he and how, so just really quick. So if if Scott wins, we'll just take Will Power as the bogey here because he's leading the championship. How far back does Will have to finish? He basically has to not finish or finish twenty fifth on back, which is where you, right. you earn okay. so five points for. Yeah, yeah, right. And then Marcus, he could finish. He, he could finish second if he takes four bonus points, but otherwise, he also needs to to win the race. So. I guess there's the- so these guys need to win, and everybody else has to have a really bad race. Basically, yeah, yeah. Will has to DNF or finish right down the order. The other, yeah. the other guy, yeah, the other guys have to finish like outside the top ten or something. Yeah, yeah, that's basically the case. So, so those two guys are pretty simple. Like they need Will to have problems, and they've got to win or finish second, depending on what's happening in the race. Uh, it gets a little bit more complicated with Newgarden and Dixon because. Um, Power could tie Dixon's number of wins if he wins the race. Although Power, if he won the race, would then win the championship. But if Power wins the race, he's going to so, win anyway. So, right? so you have that to cancels that itself. That win. cancels itself out. So we can treat Newgarden right. and Dixon basically as the same, even though they're not currently as things stand. I guess. So yeah, I guess Newgarden uh, ninth with three bonus points, eighth with one bonus point, or seventh seventh with no bonus points is the absolute minimum that he has to do next weekend if Will... So that's power DNFing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the same for, for Dixon because he's on the same number of points and we're assuming in this scenario that Powell's not won the race because then he's won the championship. So as a quick kind of rundown, that's the absolute minimum of what you need to see from those guys next weekend. So if Newgarden or Dixon are 10th or worse, then Powell wins the championship regardless of what happens. And if McLaughlin and Ericsson don't finish first or with Ericsson second with four bonus points, then those guys are both out as well. Will will tie up the championship with a third, obviously. Um, and then there's a little bit of there's a little bit of wiggle room in terms of the a number of bonus points he scores. Could be fourth, but it's uh, it's it's third on the head that is going to guarantee in the title. So that's where we're at going in. It's gonna be really interesting. What do you make of the situation? Just based on, uh, I guess it's hard. There's so many factors you can take into consideration here, obviously. Like we could even talk about Dixon coming from a lot further back than this in 2015 and winning the championship um, and and how that affects his mental game going into the weekend and how that affects all the other drivers knowing that that's happened before, whether they'll be thinking about that. I imagine they've probably not considering things like that and putting that out of their head. But uh, I guess just putting it, just bringing this purely down to a, a racing situation as to what's going to happen next weekend. My gut is with power at the moment, just because Dixon has not really qualified very well all year or for the last few years. And even though they've had a test, I think Dixon winning this championship kind of depends on him qualifying ahead of power, which I find unlikely. And the reason I find that so I guess important is because it's so difficult to overtake at Laguna Seca. If you're going to be winning the championship, you're going to have to be putting yourself in a really strong position in qualifying to, to be up there and, and to be in position. So I guess for me, that's just where my mindset's at. I'm, I'm definitely favouring power at the moment. Does that mean I don't think Joseph Newgard can stick it on pole and, and win from there? Absolutely not. I think that's totally possible. I just think what we've seen from Dixon, you know, this year is, is, is much more making the most of strategy, you know, performing absolutely excellently in races but struggling to put himself in those positions and qualifying that he really needs to whereas from from power and new garden you know we've seen them get poles and and win from the front so i guess that's where where my head's at going into the weekend 
Yeah, I guess I my general perspective here is, well, I think Laguna is an interesting case now because like we saw last year and the guys talked about it, the guys that tested talked about it after the test that there's such incredible tire deg that that does change the compl- the complexion of the importance of qualifying to me a bit that it's like, yeah, it's a hard track to pass on, but you might end up in a situation that you're like two seconds off the pace at some point in your stint. And so it doesn't matter if you, if the gaps are that significant and, and sort of how you factor that into your strategy ends up having an enormous impact on where you actually end up at the end of the race. Like, do you time, you know, last couple of races there have been relatively yellow free. I don't, I can't, I don't recall off the top of my head. I mean, I don't remember there being any yellows last year. There might've been, but the, you normally think like cars being really hard to drive, higher tire deg, it at some point is going to end up with people just firing it off. But oftentimes what it actually ends up resulting in is everybody having to be like pretty careful throughout the, throughout the event. And that when there are, when there is action, it tends to be happening at times when there's, when you're at like weird overlap points in the race of, you know, drivers coming and going really significantly because they're either on like really used tires when other guys are on new stuff or the other way around. So I think that's an interesting component of the whole thing here. And it, I, I found it interesting when they were talking to Scott after the race in Portland, they asked him about the fact that they had done the test and it was interesting to hear his take on that compared to the way that, say, the Penske and Andretti cars that had tested at Portland felt about Portland. Like when they when they talked to those guys, they were like, oh, yeah, we definitely found something. and We're going to be great this weekend, basically. And Scott was kind of like, yeah, the tire deg is so huge at Laguna. Like, I don't know. I don't know that it makes any difference. Basically, was his was basically like his take on their test, which I thought was super weird, actually. But um, but he's probably right. Like you know, Palo was super fast at the test. He was like two or three tenths up on the next quickest car. Um, so does that 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 to me at least says that Ganassi as a group might have some pace that they can that they can get to. And Scott, if the, if the pace is there and they've got their act together with the nine crew going, I mean, they've, they've definitely improved their qualifying performances. their just outright ability to extract pace out of the car in the second half of this year. It's been a part of them clawing their way back into this title hunt. Um, you know, Scott is the guy that over the second half of the season here has been the biggest mover in terms of getting back into the title fight. So he's got, he's got momentum He's been in this position, you know, five times more times than anybody else, basically, you know? So I like it, I wouldn't put it past Dixon and, and those guys to be able to do a little bit of what they did at Portland and just make the, make, make the right calls by not making silly calls in terms of what they're doing. You know, you, you talked about Scott being kind of Fernando esque. I think an interesting component of that is those guys are really good at executing in those moments, like those combat moments, actually, because they've, they've got this mixed. Yes. They're super assertive. Like they're very, there's like an aggressiveness that, that they definitely tap into in those moments, but it's actually because they're slightly more patient than other drivers might be in the same situation. Like, 
they're willing to take an extra beat. You know, Scott's willing to kind of let the whole thing in front of him play out a little bit going through turn one so that he can take advantage of it at the exit of turn two. Like other drivers, they take that that same aggression level and just fire it into turn one. Like I'm going to get right up on these guys and like force the issue. And then they're having to be on the brakes and gather everything up just like everybody else, you know, and it like ends up being a huge mess. So yeah, like, like Pato in the race. <laughs> Pato, yeah. Pato. Well, that's a little bit different. Cause I do think that was his only chance to try to get by Will. Yeah. Right. Like if he just yeah, follows yeah. Will through yeah. the corner, Will's not going to mess up. But, um, and that was a crazy, that was, that was totally like Roma bashing into Jimmy Johnson and the corkscrew last year. It was like, what the, like you are so lucky that will didn't crash because otherwise you will be like the most hated person in the entire paddock right now. Like you came from like five car lengths back, dude. Like what? Uh, So he was, he was lucky that will had like eyes in the back of his head to, you know, be able to manage that whole situation. Um, anyway, the long and the short of it here, I guess is I think Scott can be in the mix here. I, I agree with you. I think Will is the guy at this point. Will can go stick it on the pole here. He's good at Laguna. He's, you know, he's shown an improved ability to like cancel out all the noise. He, his post-race interview to me was very focused, very calm and collected. He knows that he doesn't have like a huge gap to everybody else, but he also knows that he's like in the catbird seat here and just has to go do what he's been doing literally all year. If he just does what he's been doing all year, he'll be in good shape. So like to me, Will is is the guy without question that's got things rolling in his favor. Um, I also think that like between Colton, Alexander and Polo, there's three guys, no doubt, throw Pato in there four guys that those guys could go one, two, three, four. So there's an element of there definitely being some drivers that take away the win from Joseph Scott, you know, uh, McLaughlin and Erickson that just remove those points from the table altogether. That helps will also. So for all of those reasons, I think that will is wills in the best position here. If, if it goes sideways for him, it'll be because, you know, they just didn't, you know, they had something go wrong over the course of the weekend. Basically, I think I, and I guess I look at, I look at Joseph and think, yeah, no question. He could stick it on the pole and go lights to flag. But I, I also just kind of feel like Wills had the measure of him more or less in terms of pace over the course of the races this year. When it, when that's, when that's been the situation, he's not ever had like a huge gap on the 12 car this year. So it just kind of feels like if Joseph's in the mix that the other two Penske cars will be in the mix and you know, that'll, that'll be that. Yeah. I I definitely don't disagree. And uh, I'm not definitely not ruling Scott Dixon out. I just think if we're talking about who is the favorite at the minute, uh, I definitely feel like it's power. And I, you know, if, if you, if we're getting into a scenario where, you know, tire saving is going to be the key thing that defines this race, then Scott Dixon's probably top of your list of guys that you want in that situation, right? Like he's, <laughs> he'd be the ideal one, but he's also, you know, qualified in the top 12 once in the last six races. And I just don't feel, you know, I'd, I think it'd be great for Dixon to win a seventh championship. And 
I think his his run this year has been so underrated and so undervalued by so many people that it would just be fantastic for him to to do it at the end. Um, Everybody would have to just bow down to Scott Dixon if he ends up winning the championship this year. What would you even like, say if yeah. he's able to do it? It's incredible. But at the same time, I totally agree with you. Will Power's demeanor at the minute is just so like Iceman esque. Um, I don't really like using that nickname for Dixon. Uh, I don't know. It's just something about it that doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really work. <laughs> it sounds like cheesy. Like it's almost like offensive to him or something. I don't like it. But the 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 vibe is there that, that power just seems so chilled out at the minute and that nothing is phasing him. You know, they're asking him about Pato clobbering into the side of him in a, in a key moment that could have defined his championship. And he's just like, yeah, you know, it was a bad move. He's <laughs> <laughs> just kind of playing everything off. Like nothing really means anything to him. And I thought it was really nice to hear him say that he felt like he wants to win this championship for his crew. And yeah. for those guys who have missed out on so many different, you know, championships over the years that have been with him for, for, for 10 years and sometimes, sometimes longer. And that was, you know, I, I, I don't wish to make Will sound like, um, he doesn't thank his crew and stuff like that. You know, he, he obviously does, but that felt like a really nice and kind of poignant moment that maybe you don't always see out of Will directly after a race. Like you might get those moments in an interview in the week, kind of between races and stuff like that, where he's had time to think about things a bit more. But when he comes out of the car, he's usually quite quite hot, you know, lots of opinions about stuff. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying anything new to anyone who's watched IndyCar or listened to Will Power speak before. You know, it's not, that, that's, that's not a revelation in any sense. But for him to take that moment this weekend to really talk about how much it would mean to him to give his crew that, that championship, I thought was really, you know, really cool. And, at the moment for me he has to be the has to be the favorite to do it so we'll be interested to see that you're totally right and that i do think that sometimes you to hear to hear a driver talk about kind of coming full circle in this situation and it's not just that you know we caught will at a time when he was being more introspective or something and and that's why this came out i think this is a part of will's kind of shift this year is that he's he's uh and and i'm i, I would, i'd love to get him on the pod so we could like talk to him about this because i'm so intrigued about what has what has like did he go looking for something did he seek out some um you know, counsel in terms of how he might, you know, adapt his, uh, you know, mental approach and kind of his emotional, uh, emotional approach more than anything. You know, we talk about sports psychology and all of these things and you think it's just kind of like a mental thing. It's actually, it's, it's a much more emotional thing than it is a mental thing in terms of, you know, uh, kind of being able to identify how you operate at your best and what factors go into that. And, how you might make adjustments. It's, it's, it's digging into kind of the emotions that are present when things are going well, when things aren't going well, like how do you remove those blockages and how do you kind of align yourself better? That's not really, that's, that's not so much a a mental thing the way that I think we think about it, you know, or, or from the outside, it might be, might be viewed. So, um, you know, for Will, maybe a part of that is having, more of a a complete view of what creates for performance and and you know those relationships and and feeling that you know with the people around him 
whether that's his wife, his son, you know, his family, um, or, you know, in this case, his team. And I think that that, uh, it, it doesn't surprise me in some ways to hear him be like that because he just has seemed a lot more grounded this year. And he, it doesn't feel like it's been all about him. And I think that in, in Will Power, I, I don't think Will is like a selfish guy. So I think, you know, when you, when you make it all about you, if your, if your reason for doing it is all about you, that can be a lot of self-inflicted pressure, you know, that you're just focused on, on yourself for your own reasons. So, um, I thought that was really interesting to hear and, um, and I'm, I'm with you. I, I, we've talked about it multiple times over the course of this year that he's, he's been, he's been a little bit more vulnerable in these situations to just talk about. He's been, he's been very willpower-esque, I guess, from that perspective. But the things that we've been hearing him say have just been very different types of things with a different type of emotion and a different underlying tone. So, um, I, I agree with you that for a lot of those reasons, as we've seen it over the course of this year, not least of which his post-race interview um, you know, at Portland that I, you know, I think he's the guy and I think he can definitely go do it. There's definitely one thing that he has admitted that he does differently this year in terms of his mental approach, but he said he won't talk about it until he finishes his career. So there's, there's one aspect of this mental shift that we're definitely not going to find out about for a few years. There was some, some jokes, uh, there was a question posed to, to Scott Dixon about, um, about basically being a veteran driver and Scott was like, I'm still a young guy, you know, like I, I'm not, you know, basically joking about not being a, a veteran and, and Will was kind of laughing along and, and kind of agreeing with that. Um, as a side, as a completely unrelated side note, it, just because it was quite a funny anecdote, um, Scott basically said, um, I, I'm, I'm going to be around for a long time. Like I've signed a 10 year, I've signed a 10 year extension, like as a joke. Um, <laughs> and then Will immediately chimed in with Zach Brown, with McLaren. <laughs> it was what Will, Will Power said. <laughs> So, yeah, that's exactly what he said. So uh, that was a that was a funny little uh, anecdote to 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 finish their press conference together. So Jr, we'll wrap it up there and we'll get ready for the finale. I think we're both really excited. I can tell we're both pumped for this one. We've run through some of the championship permutations. We've talked about the kind of distraction from the championship race that Colton Herta might be the latest IndyCar driver to get an F1 chance next year. We've spoken about so many different things on this podcast that you should go back and start again and listen to it from the start. So enjoy doing that. And we'll be back next week to round up the championship. I hope we'll have the champion on to join us, JR, with a bit of luck. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to replicate our our coup that we managed last year when we had Alex Blow on the podcast just after winning the championship. So I'm hopeful we'll get that. <laughs> in the meantime, this week, make sure you're tuned in to www.the-race.com for all of your features, news and analysis. Unfortunately, it's written by me, but I promise I'll try really hard to make it as interesting as possible in the lead up to this finale. And make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Find it in all your favourite podcast places. Leave us a review and definitely join us next week because we'll be back with the results of the championship and some insight with JR and I into that. So we'll see you then. The Athletic.